already been to church, amen? amen? All right. Well, this morning, if you haven't figured it out yet, I don't know how to help you, we're going to be in Psalm 46. We sang it every way we could sing it. And let God speak through song. Kevin, thank you for putting together such a wonderful song service for us. This is what they have called for centuries Luther's song. Because Martin Luther, upon reading and studying and meditating upon this psalm, this is the psalm where he went and he sat down and he penned, A mighty fortress is our God. And so it's always been attributed since then as Luther's psalm. But I want you to know that it's not just Luther's psalm. That's inaccurate. It's our psalm. This is the psalm that should bring great comfort to our hearts and to the depths of our souls. This is a psalm that should bring us to a point of deep faith, a radical trust in God because of what this psalmist tells us, because of this song that has been given to us. And this is indeed a song, if you notice, that this is for the choir director. This was written in order to be sung. I told you that many of the psalms, they are the, song, the songbook of the Hebrews. Much of these were used in prayer. Much of these were used in praise. And these were used in singing. And so how appropriate that Luther would write a song from this psalm. And so many others you can see uh, just today that we sang two of many songs that have been written about this chapter in the Bible. As we consider this morning the psalm, I, I want to begin by reading it to you. And, and I hope that you'll... Really listen to these words. Let them sink into your heart. If you learn best by visually reading, then keep your eyes open and read. If, if hearing is the best way that you listen, or not listen, but the best way that you learn, then I encourage you, close your eyes. Let the words of this psalm sink into your soul. Let me read it to you. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountain quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This morning, Psalm 46, it tells us why it is that we need to have a radical trust in God. A, a trust that abandons everything. A trust that ends in full surrender because we serve a God that is worthy of that kind of trust. And this sermon is going to be laid out very simply. The sermon, the text is laid out very simply. I'm going to take many of the words directly out of the text and just use the text. I'm not going to get tricky with this. I try to never do that anyways. But let the text speak for itself. Because here's what it says. It says that we can put our trust in God, a radical trust. You know why? Because number one, in him we have refuge. Uh, have you ever thought about what that means? Uh, if you remember a few years ago, really 20, 30 years ago, it became very popular to have a panic room. It's as if this text is saying that God is like an ancient panic room. If you remember, if someone was about to break into your house, 
There are many homes that are built with panic rooms. When the enemy comes, when someone comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, literally. Does that sound familiar? That literally people have put a place in their home where they can find refuge. They can go and know that they are safe. And no matter what is happening around them, in that place they are safe. You know what the Word of God says? That place is God. There's nowhere more safe than in the presence of our God, who is our refuge, who is our strength. And not only is he like that pain, I mean, listen, because we have to know where to run. That's why we need God. When it comes to our sin, we must run to him to forgiveness. When it comes to the pain and suffering in life, we must run to him for comfort. He is the only source of all that we need. And folks, in life, one of the greatest battles we have to overcome is knowing where to run to find safety. I'm going to tell you a story today that most of you will not believe. I wouldn't tell it except that Randy Keats, you can ask him, he's a member in this church. He sits usually right behind Miss Joanne every Sunday, first service. If you don't believe me, you can go ask him. If you don't believe me, you can call my dad. I'll give you the number because I hesitate to tell this story because it was really unreal what happened. We were fishing in Tampa Bay one day. Every time I go home, Dad and I, we're going to go fishing in Tampa Bay. We've gotten lazy as we've gotten older. We like to get in boats now. We'll spend the money because we have a little bit more money now that we're all grown adults. But back in the day, we didn't want to spend money for boats. We would just wade chest deep, knee deep, waist deep in Tampa Bay. We would take live baits, usually what they call greenbacks, and we'd throw them out there. And those little greenback fish, we would be able to chunk them out there. And the snook and the redfish would love to come up and eat those things. And one day we saw a snook breaking the water. And literally, as we're standing there watching, I think there was four of us. I think my, my older brother was there as well, if I remember correctly. We're just standing there watching and fishing, and all of a sudden, this fish starts to break the water, and it's obvious that he's chasing something. And as that fish turns toward us, literally, I mean, it's probably from the sound booth to me that we see it, and as it turns, it starts coming right at me. And as it gets right up on me, what I realize is that there is a shrimp that that snook is chasing. I kid you not, that shrimp gets around my right leg and hides behind my right leg. And I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? The snook, obviously, it's found a safe place, right? It's found a place, a refuge that it can hide. And that snook swam away. And folks, I'm telling you, it's important that you know where your refuge is because you know what I did? I took that shrimp, I put him on my hook, and I caught that snook. <laughs> I literally was able to reach down and grab that thing out of the water. Aren't you glad God's not me? Because when it comes to God, we know where to run. We know that with him, we are a people who have a refuge. If you notice, it says that in God, he is a refuge and he is our strength. And it says that he is a very present help in times of trouble. The reason we need a refuge is because life is all about trouble, isn't it? I mean, if you want to know a word synonymous for trouble, you may as well say life. Because that's what Jesus said himself. In this world, right, you will have trouble. That's right out of Jesus' mouth. That's right there in the book of John. That in this world, as long as you are walking and living and breathing in this world, it's not a matter of if you're going to have trouble, but when you're going to have trouble. Life is filled with difficult times. And that word trouble, it's interesting in the Hebrew, it literally means a tight space. It means that the trouble has come upon you in such a way that you feel like you can't breathe. It has you surrounded. It has you cornered. That in every way, it's pressing up against you. And you know what it says? It says that in those moments, we have an ever-present help. We have a refuge. We have a Lord who the Bible tells us is strength because... His strength, you know what the Word of God tells us? The Word of God tells us over and over that His strength is sufficient. When we have His strength and His presence, when He becomes our refuge, I want you to know that that and that alone allows us to face the most extreme crisis 
with a quiet confidence. If you notice the way that it's worded here, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, because of those three things, he's a refuge, he's a strength, he's always there in our times of trouble. Because of those things, you know what the word of God says? This isn't Pastor Aaron asking you to do something that you can't physically do, that you can't spiritually do. This is God speaking and proclaiming to you that when you understand those three facts, therefore, you know what? You have no reason to fear. Because fear is replaced by faith. That deep-seated trust that we talked about. Folks, faith and fear, they're like light and darkness. One cannot exist in the presence of the other. You see, we can't accept fear as an outcome as a believer because wherever fear is overwhelming us and taking over, then what it means is that we've taken off our eyes from the person who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It means that what has happened is our circumstances have become greater than the God that we serve. When you consider what he says right here, it's very interesting. He's he's basically telling us that God's strength is sufficient even in the most earth-shaking circumstances. He says we will not fear even though the world should change or the earth should change. Think about that. He's saying if everything that you knew, depended on, counted on. I mean, when you think about the earth, there's certain laws, right, that that, that we just depend on, like gravity. Or there's there's other laws, thermodynamics. There's certain things that we know keep the world spinning the way the world's supposed to be spinning. And we just count on those things. We depend on them. It'd be like if, if we lived beside a mountain, we would never expect to wake up one day and turn and look out our back door, and suddenly that mountain is gone. It would take a cataclysmic event. For a mountain to tremble, as those words say. For the seas to be so violent that the mountains would literally tremble, that that literally mountains would slip into the sea. Could you imagine what the circumstances would take for that to happen? He said, even if that's what's happening around us. He says, when we realize those first three things, we don't have to fear. Wow, let that sink in. Think of the peace that God is desiring to give to believers. What God can do in the human heart through faith is absolutely amazing. I love the woman who was quoted in the midst of an earthquake. A friend looked at her and said, aren't you scared? And she said, you know what? I don't have any fear. And the woman looked at her and said, how could you have no fear? You know what she said? She said, I don't have any fear because I rejoice in knowing that I have a God who can shake the world. You see, she knew who was shaking the world. She knew that God was on the throne. She knew that God was in control. She knew that God had her life in her hands. And while everybody else thinks that the earthquake is the worst thing in the world, she looked and you know what she realized? I serve a God that can shake the world and it made all the difference. Perspective, church. Do you have a biblical perspective in life? Because he says... For us, God is like that ancient panic room. He's our refuge, our tower. He's also our strength, and he is sufficient. But he's also our constant companion. I love what it says there in the end of verse 2. It says, a very present help in trouble. So what that's saying is, it's not that he was a help. I mean, most of us sometimes think about God. We want to ask the question, where is he? As if at some point in life he was there, but now he's suddenly gone. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say that he was a help. It says that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. You don't ever have to worry where God is. God is with you. God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always in control. You see, one of the greatest lessons we have to learn in life is this. And and man, this is like, this is one of the hard ones. We have to come to grips with the fact that we can't determine or control the circumstances that are happening around us. 
All we can do is determine the way that we respond to those circumstances. That's it. We spend most of our life trying to change the world around us, trying to change the people around us. And you know what God is saying? Stop striving. Stop acting as if you have the power and the ability to change anything. You can't draw your breath without me. You see, when we come to that conclusion, it frees us. We have to always be mindful that the reality is He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. It's how we respond to whatever is happening around us. He said when these things, these horrible things, these tragic things, these, these, these things that make us fret and wring our hands, when these things are happening, he says don't fear because God is our refuge and our strength. He's telling us don't let your fear, because it will, don't let your fear shipwreck your faith. Vance Havner, a preacher of the Word of God said, and I think he said it well, he said, if you want to know the victory that overcomes the world, it is this. When we are shipwrecked, not on fear, but we are shipwrecked on God. When we become stranded on his omnipotence. You see, if you're going to be shipwrecked, don't let it be your faith. If you're going to be shipwrecked, if you're going to cast everything that you are upon something then cast it upon God. Because I don't know about you, if I'm going to be shipwrecked, I want it to be on God. I want to be stranded on the island of His power. I love what he says secondly. He says not only can we radically trust God because in Him we have a refuge, but he says also it's because in Him we have, and what a strange statement, we have a river. The beauty of this comes when you understand what is happening in verse 2 and 3, and then you look at the change that happens in verse 4. Because verse 3 is a good picture, and 2 and 3 is a good picture of what is happening in us without Jesus Christ. Everything is raging. Everything is storming. Everything is overwhelming. Everything is pressing. We have trouble upon trouble upon trouble, and we don't know what to do. And there's no place more miserable in life than being without hope. And there are many of us that that's exactly how we seem to be living in the midst of a raging storm. And you know what God says? He says, when you run to me, that storm goes from being cataclysmic to a quiet river. Do you see the contrast between three and four? You went from earthquakes and storms to a quiet stream where there's life. Uh, don't let it be lost on you what we shared last week. The man who is blessed, remember what it said, he delights in the law of the Lord. And what does he do? He meditates on it day and night. And the man who is blessed like that, you know what it says? It says like that he is a man that is like a tree that is planted where? By streams of water. Living water. Oh, folks, make no mistake, there is a river that runs from the city of God. The place where the Most High dwells. And see the imagery for us in the New Testament, oh my goodness. Back in this day when it was written, the presence of God dwelt in Jerusalem. The presence of, of God dwelt in a temple. Dwelt in a place. But folks, that's not what the New Testament teaches us today, is it? You know where the city of God is today? <laughs> you are the temple. You know what God wants to do in you? He wants to put in you a river of life. Back in the day when they would build cities in ancient times, the reason they would build cities around rivers 
is because rivers were sources of life. Without water, any enemy, all they had to do was cut off your supply to water and they would have you immediately defeated. And he says that the believer is like that city that literally has streams. The heads of the river, the places, the springs of the river are literally inside the city. So it doesn't matter how the enemy presses around. It doesn't matter how the enemy surrounds. It doesn't matter how the enemy threatens. They can't touch you. Why? Because the source of all your power and all your strength and all your hope and all your joy and all your peace isn't outside those walls. Where is it? It's inside. Who can take the Holy Spirit from you? We said last week, there's no circumstance that has to rob you of joy. If you are robbed of joy, you surrendered it. because you took your eyes off of the Lord and his promises to you. The raging sea is turned into a quiet river. In him we have a river. Why? Because he is the abundant source of life for his people. Literally in Jesus Christ we have all that we need. You see, what we find here is that he satisfies. When it says that he is this river, he sustains us. He satisfies us. He saves us. Folks, we may be besieged on every side, but God is in the midst of us. Let that sink in a second. If I'm going to be stuck somewhere surrounded by my enemy, you know who I want standing right beside me? The Lord. Isn't it a beautiful thing to consider that our God fights for us? That an attack on us, guess what? It's an attack on Him. I remember well the time my dad defended me once. A man threatened to beat me up. I was telling my Wednesday class that we were in Georgia. Basically, there were land disputes in Georgia. People thought they owned the bottom of the river, so whenever fishermen would come through, they would antagonize the fishermen and you know, try to call the police on you and everything else, and we happened to be there during all that mess when the judges hadn't decided anything yet. Literally, this guy walks up. We're fishing. We're in the river, and he says, Hey, come here. So, of course, I stop fishing, and I walk over onto his land, and guess what he says? You're trespassing. I said, well, I was in the river till you invited me over here. And he said, well, you're trespassing now. And he said, there's an officer up there. I'm going to report you to them. And, and, of course, I go up there, and it's a forestry division. It's, it's one of the, the national forestry wildlife officers. She was about this tall. But I guarantee you she could have whipped us all. And she looked at that man, and she said, look, I have no reason to arrest him. You invited him onto your property. You know good and well that he can be in the middle of that river. It wasn't enough for him when he started to get in my face and he basically told me he was going to whip me and drag me down to the police station in Clayton, Georgia. I mean, out of nowhere, my dad comes in like a rabid dog. And I've never seen my dad like that. My dad is a gentle guy. He may be sarcastic as the day is long, but there is a kindness and a gentleness to him. I've never seen him fight. I've never seen him raise his voice like that. But I'm telling you, I've, he got between me and that guy, and that guy could have whipped three of us. But it didn't stop my dad for one second. Thankfully, that officer got involved so we didn't all get whipped. But I'm going to tell you what, imagine what it's like for a holy God when someone attacks his children. At our weakest moment, when we have exhausted all else, isn't it good to know that God is there and he will overcome? And we remember it was never about us. He says that he will come at the break of day. You know, we do serve an 11th hour God. At the break of day, it just gives us the imagery that 
in the darkest moments when we think that we've been defeated and we're not going to see another day, the dawn breaks, and guess what? God is victorious. Folks, that's the way that he's always been. That's how our faith is built. That's how our character is built. We get upset with God because we don't like his timing. We want them sooner. We want them at the first hour, not the 11th hour. But folks, I'm telling you, you can't dictate to God when he comes and when he saves us because he saves us at those moments so that our faith is deepened. This is not the first time these words are spoken. Be still. I want you to remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, the army of the Egyptians, the strongest army in the world, was chasing them on horseback and with chariots. And here they are. They are stuck between. It's a tight spot right a time of trouble on one side they've got a sea on the other side they've got an army and what does Moses say to the children of Israel he basically says be still just watch our God will save us and you know what happened right at the last moment the seas divide And the children of Israel walk through and God destroys the Egyptian army when he brings the water back onto them. Do you remember Joshua? Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, Joshua was told you have to go into the river. It's flooding. You ever seen a flooding river? It's no joke. It wasn't just a stream. It was a river at flood stage. Literally nobody would walk into a river at flood stage, but God said, look, we're going across this river. Forget the circumstances. Forget what it looks like. I'm telling you we're going across. So go grab the Ark of the Covenant, which is probably hundreds of pounds, if not more, and I want you to put it on the priest, and I want the priest to go walk into the water. And it wasn't until they had the courage and the trust and the faith to walk into the water that, guess what? God dammed up the river, and they walked right through. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God could have saved them, before they were ever thrown into the fire. But God saved them in the midst of the fire. And when they were thrown in, guess who was standing there with them? One of the greatest examples that I think the Scripture offers us is Mary and Martha. Because they are so overwhelmed with grief at the death of their brother. Jesus didn't show up the first day. He didn't show up the second day. He didn't show up the third day. And when Jesus finally shows up, can you imagine their heartbreak? They are looking at Jesus saying, if you had just shown up earlier, you could have saved them. Why four days? And Jesus just looks at him and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And all he had to do was what? Speak. It don't matter if you're one day dead or four days dead. When God wants to save you, guess what? He saves you. And learning to trust him. To put our faith in him. To know that in him we have this river of life that satisfies and sustains and ultimately will save us. I heard a preacher say one day, Our God, you can't hurry. So you don't need to worry. It's a good statement. You're wasting your time trying to get him to move. He'll move in his own time. We also see that his presence, his power, and his promise, they are what bring peace to us. It's part of that statement about that river that when we know we have God's presence and power and all of his gracious promises, it would go back to to what Peter said. Listen, if you've got the Holy Spirit of God and you've got this divine power within you, and then on top of that, you have all of the divine promises that God has given to us. Think of all the promises that he's given to us. You know what he says? The conclusion of that is then you have everything that you need for life and godliness. Whatever you need for that moment, he said, you now have. The question is, do you believe it? 
And he finishes with, you know what? The nations can be in an uproar. The kingdoms of the world can be tottering. He says all it takes is for God, in verse 6, to raise his voice and the earth will simply melt. You think God's concerned with the circumstances on this earth? You think he's wringing his hands? You think he's concerned? You think somehow that he has lost control? I think not. Because all it takes is for God to speak and it is finished. At the sound of his voice, it's done. He speaks and it's over. Don't you remember how powerful the words of Jesus were when he sat upon the cross and he said, it is finished. And you know what? It was. Death, hell, sin, the world. In that moment, with those words, all of it defeated. Never forget that God has the last word. Thirdly, he's a refuge. In him we have a river. Thirdly, in him we have a sovereign ruler. If you wonder what sovereign means, it means that we have a God who rules and he is in complete control. When we get to verse 8, we get to a change because this is where we like to perk up when we read the Bible because there's something in us that wants to know, what do I do? God, what do you want me to do? I, I mean, I really believe most of us, we have, if we have the choice to try to save ourselves or be saved, our natural inclination is, I think I can save myself. You see it in children, right? This inclination to do it themselves. They can't do it, and you're trying to tell them they can't do it, but what do they insist? They're going to yell at you. They're going to scream at you. They're going to get frustrated, right? That's how you look with, that's how you look with God. The same exact way. Because when you finally get to the command, it is so interesting. Because you're waiting like, okay, so what do I do with all of these truths, with all of, all of this stuff that I've just heard today? What do I do? You know what he simply says? The first command out of the gate. Look at what he says. <laughs> Come. Behold. Wait a minute, God, for me to have all that you just talked about, all I need to do is just look, just watch. Another way to put it, and probably the best way, is to just remember. And you see, that's exactly what God says. Because when we fail to look back and remember the grace and the mercy and the power of our God in the past, it's hard for us to put our trust in him in the future. Looking back for the children of Israel was always very important. Their whole calendar demanded that they remember that they have festivals and they have feasts. And they had this calendar that constantly made them go back and remember the Passover. To go back and remember how God always provided for them in the wilderness. When they were in the middle of nowhere, God provided so that when they got into the land of promise, they would look back and know He was always with us. He always provided. So here I am in promise. Why would I ever doubt God? If He could do it then, surely He can do it now. But you see, when we fail to look back and we fail to remember, we fail to do something very important that God has told us. Out of all the things that come out of this text, the first command out of the gate, come behold the wondrous works of our God. Behold the works of our God. Stop and remember that our God is all the things that we just talked about. That's what he says that he wants you to do. Remember, just remember and let it direct your faith as you move forward because if not then what's going to happen is you're only going to give a glance to God and you're going to gaze at everything else you see that's why David was victorious over Goliath he wasn't gazing at Goliath he was gazing at God Goliath just got a glance but when you put that against Peter when he stepped out of the boat what you find is that Peter's gaze wasn't on the author and perfecter of his faith. 
he had his eyes on Jesus, but then what did he do? He, he was glancing at Jesus, but his gaze was on the wind and the waves. And folks, you've got to learn, I've got to learn to quit gazing at the circumstances, quit concentrating on the problems, and start putting my eyes back on Jesus and believing that he's able. Folks, look forward to the promises of God. I want you to remember it's, it's God, it, it's Christ who said to us, when the enemy comes upon you, remember he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. When the enemy comes upon you and presses up against you and puts you in these very difficult places, God says to you, he wants to remind you, if God is for us, then what? Then who in the world could be against us? When the devil whispers in your ear that God can't love you, that God doesn't care about you, that your sins, he sees how sorry you are and he sees how messed up you are and he sees your brokenness and God doesn't want anything to do with you, that's when you've got to remember that it was God who said, what can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus? What's the answer to that question? Nothing, believer. And when the devil backs you in a corner, you better remember the promises. According to the scriptures, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And folks, Jesus will bring peace. That's what 9 and 10 talk about. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He will bring peace. Not negotiated peace, conquering peace. Not a treaty, only full surrender. We're not talking about the devil and God as if we're looking at two mutually strong nations. Folks, it's a one-sided victory that ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every kingdom in this earth. You want to know what 9 and 10 is getting at? Every kingdom will fall except the kingdom of God. And that conquering king is coming again. And folks, I can assure you that God can give you victory. You know why? Because verse, <laughs> verse 9 tells us a little secret about God. You ready? God don't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair. You know what he does? He breaks the weapons of the enemy before they're even able to use them. Because when the enemy would seek to destroy us from a distance, you know what it says? God has already taken the bow, and what has he done? He's already broken it. When the enemy's up close and personal and wants to attack you, you know what it says when he comes at you with that spear? God's already cut it in two. Like the Israelites in the Exodus, whenever the enemy is behind you and desiring to crush you, you know what it says? God has already burned the chariot. So let me ask you a question. What do you have to worry about? Nothing. Because we can praise God, he don't fight fair. The enemy doesn't have a chance. He never did. He never, ever did. Before the foundations of the world, the devil was already defeated. Your sin was already conquered. And you know what that results in, right? Verse 10. The second command. Because we think, okay, we're going to look back, and, and now, God, what do you want us to do? What does verse 10 tell you to do? Be, be still. That's probably the hardest thing for believers to do. 
We'd rather run around like chickens with our head cut off. We'd rather shake our fist, make our complaints, fret, worry. And all the while, God is saying, you know what? When you really understand who I am and who you are and whose you are, he says, you know what? All I, he said, the only thing I want from you, be still. I mean, when you think about the Christian life, we so complicate it because all he's really saying is abide in me. Rest in me. Trust me. Put your faith in me. It's never been about what you're going to do. It's always been about what Christ has done. Always. And that's how he has assured the glory. Because we have nothing to hold on to. We have nothing to claim for ourselves. At the end of this day, he says, be still. The best translation I fully believe is what the NSB says, how it translates it in the New American Standard. Stop striving. And know that I am God. Believer, live out your faith. That is the best hope for your spouse who may be struggling in their faith. But see, you want to strive. You want to change. You want to confront. You, you want to do. You, you want to fix. And you know what God is saying? Remember and sit there and be still and abide in me then we're going to see some fruit. And because you won't be still, because you won't abide with God, let me tell you what you do. You go into a situation that's already bad, and you make it what? You just make it worse. Because somehow you came to the conclusion that you have the power to change a heart. And the only person that you can change or allow to be changed is who? Yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't encourage them. It doesn't mean that you don't reach out to them and show patience to them and live out the fruit of the Spirit in front of them. But God is freeing you and saying, any good thing that comes about in this world, it wasn't from you. It's only from Him. So He says, let me be your refuge. Let me be your strength. Let me be your ever-present help in times of trouble. Stop striving and know that I am God. And remember that you're not. Because you know what God says? This is how he finishes. I will be exalted. You can be certain that God will be exalted. It was never up to you whether he will be or won't be any more than it was up to the devil whether he would be or won't be. You be certain that our God is strong and able and he will be exalted. He will be glorified among the nations. Literally, there is a day coming where I don't care what you say about God in this life. You can say he doesn't exist. You can say he's not real. You can say I won't serve him. You can say I won't bow to him. But there will be a day when you will stand before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee will bow, including yours. But see, for many, it will be too late. It will be too late. Because today is the day of salvation. And as Kevin comes this morning, verse 11 sums it up well. I know you may be out there thinking, but, but could this apply to me? If you knew my life, if you knew my circumstances, would God let me run to him? Would he let me find in him strength? And would he be with me like that, Aaron? You don't know me. Look at, the, look at the refrain. Look at the chorus of this song that gets sung over and over. Listen to the words of verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God who created everything. The God who is the leader of the angelic armies. The God who sustains this world. The God who is all-powerful. That God. Listen to what it says. He's with us. And don't miss the God of Jacob. This God who is the Lord of hosts, you know what else he is? He's the God of Jacob. 
about what that means. Out of all the church or, or, the, or the early patriarchs of the Old Testament, he was the most screwed up. Literally, he was the deceiver. The trickster. The cheat. He was the one that thought he could wrestle with God. And the God of heaven, who owed Jacob nothing, all he deserved was hell and death. God knew who he was. Because he told him what his name would be. He knew that he would be a deceiver, a liar, a cheat, a thief. And yet God still called his name and changed his name. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, you think, could the God of heaven love me? Yes. He can, and he does, and he will, because he's the God of Mike Smith, isn't he, Mike? He's the God of Bill Sanderson. Isn't that true? He's the God of Lynette Johnson. The God of Kevin Rainier. God of Nan Bryson. The God Art Musselman. And you know what the story is that they share? That I am the most undeserving of God's grace. That God gave me what I didn't deserve, and He didn't give me what I did deserve. And He has blessed me because of His great love. And the God of heaven is now my God. So I plead with you today. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, what is holding you back? What is keeping you from calling out? Folks, everybody that I just talked about, if you could see where they were and what they've become, what God is able to do with a life who has been given to him, that has been given to him and and has placed radical trust in him, let me tell you something. God changes everything. And you see, if we showed you who these men and women were back then, you wouldn't recognize them. But God. But God. And he's wanting to write a new story for you today. So if you've never had a personal relationship with Christ, but you want one, the Bible says you must confess your sins. Agree with God that you're in desperate need of salvation. That you need to turn from the ways that you're living. You need to follow Him. And that you can change, not because it's inside of you to do it. You can't change yourself. You know what you're doing? You're running to the refuge. You're running to the one who has the strength and will always be with you and change you and transform you. You're running to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, do in me what I cannot do in and for myself. And He'll change you. He'll transform you. How? Because Jesus broke the power of sin and death and the grave and hell and your flesh when he died on the cross that day. He took your sin and he bore the price for all of it. And he says, now you're free. Do you believe that today? That your sins are forgiven through Jesus? That he died the death you were supposed to die because of your sin and he was raised on the third day? Do you believe that? If you do, then surrender to him. I want to pray with you today. I want everybody to close their eyes. If you want salvation today, the Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, could be, shall be. And if you need Christ and you want to pray to receive him, if this is your heart, pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, today I come to you, my refuge strength, my ever-present help. I need your forgiveness today.
I need to be set free. I'm a sinner. I desperately need a Savior. And Lord Jesus, I know you're that Savior. You died for me on the cross. You were buried because of my sins. But having paid for them, you rose from the grave victorious. And I place my faith in you today. That because of the cross and the resurrection, you can save me. So Jesus, I surrender to you today. I give you my life. Take it. Use it. All of me, I give to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, is there anyone here today that prayed to receive Christ? That for the first time in your life, you called out to Jesus to be your refuge. To save you from your sins. Just raise your hand. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I just want to know so I can pray for you. Is there anyone here that prayed to receive Christ? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us and you remind us of your goodness. That your words encourage us and they quicken our spirit. They remind us how good it is to be yours. So, Father, we pray today that you would commit us to being still. To stop trying to do anything and everything in our power. And, Lord, to trust you in your way and your time. To remember that the God who's always been faithful will always be faithful. Don't let us gaze upon the problems that are around us and just glance at you. Let God fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And keep us close to your side. And Lord, give us victory. In Jesus' name.